Welcome aboard the Fourth Watch, which is a series of podcasts sponsored by the good people at Fair Mormon, of which I, your host, Ned Skarsbrick, am a volunteer. And as always, my views and opinions are my own and may not reflect those of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or that of Fair Mormon. However, they have been proven to be correct on occasion. So with that said, let's uh, move on to today's topic. This podcast is a follow-up to my previous one on the false dichotomy of truth. If you haven't listened to it, I suggest you do so because this will make more sense if you do. Real truth or false truth? False truth? How can a truth be false? Well, that's why you need to listen to my previous podcast. It explains how truth can be manipulated to put forth an agenda that can distort and even completely misrepresent the original intent or understanding of just about anything. Think dihydrogen monoxide. As always in my podcast, I tend to add many colorful uh, alliterations that do not appear in the text of this blog. Therefore, one's listening experience may differ from just reading the printed words. What does this have to do with resentment? Good question. Resentments can arise from what we perceive to be the truth, but then learn that we were deceived, cheated, or betrayed in trusting whatever it is at the time. Now, when it comes to religion, trust is paramount. We're talking about God here and not some misleading advertising for a new improved product. I saw a gas station sign that listed three types of gas. Regular, I like that, I can understand regular. Plus and V-Power. Plus? What's plus? This is gasoline. What are you going to do? Put dynamite in it? V-Power? What the heck is V-Power? Is it better than H-Power? What about X-Power? Worse than gas grades that are less than clear, I witnessed a card that had a really strange placard on its side that said, Blue Drive. Blue Drive? What the... is Blue Drive? Is it better than Red Drive? What about Green Drive? Wouldn't White Drive be the more clean and wholesome brand? What's worse is... What kind of gas do you put in a blue drive car? Plus or V-Power? Hmm. The cloud of nebulous advertisements boggle the mind. There are things in life more important than what kind of car you drive and what kind of gas you fill it with. Resentments over such trivial illustrations are useless. Someone's always going to have the next deluxe XB134 super thing. So let's move on to something more important in life like religion and God. Like I said before, trust is paramount. And when we feel that trust has been violated, resentment can set in. Bishop so-and-so did this or that. Stake President X, who my brother works for, was caught doing fill-in-the-blank. I heard that Joseph Smith had lots of wives and some of them as young as... Fill in the blank. Brigham Young said another fill in the blank with one of his unprofit like utterances. The list is extensive for what we thought we knew, but later turns out was not the whole truth. At this point, I would like to illustrate this concept with a personal experience. 
A long time ago, in a Mormon colony far, far away, I learned that Joseph Smith had in his possession several what we would call today seer stones. They were used by the prophet on various occasions to translate the word of God that would become the canon of the church, or as we would say today, the Holy Scriptures. I saw these devices as some kind of mystical connection with God that allowed the one who was authorized to use the stones to come somehow into God's presence and commune with a divine. Some super-engineered and crafted substance beyond our earthly experience and understood only by God himself. Anybody else hold this view about seer stones? Well, just recently, the church published an article in the Ensign magazine about the seer stone. I am providing a link in the show notes if you'd like to read it. Yeah, so what? Well, when I first looked at the picture, I viewed it through the lens of my God-created superstone. As I continued looking at it, I realized that it was just a rock. It only took about 15 to 20 seconds for my mind to adjust. It took much longer for my heart and soul to adjust. It's a rock. Sometimes our perceptions create our reality, and my reality had to change when faced with this new information. It can be painful. Much like the stages of grief, first is denial, and we're not talking about the river in Egypt here. Second, anger. And this is where a lot of people stay when it comes to having their existing worldview injured. Next is bargaining. Let's uh, make a deal here. Then depression sets in. How can I go on knowing that my previous view of whatever was a lie? Lastly, acceptance. A lot of people never get to acceptance because the past can't be wrong. It was cast in stone. If it was cast in sand, then how can I trust anything? Ah, It's the all-or-nothing black-and-white worldview that can destroy you. Let's get back to the seer stone. I still don't like the fact that the seer stone is just a rock. I want it to be something like the stone mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Ooh, hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, save it he that receiveth. Heavenly secret stone? Cool! But what if it's just a representation of a principle and not a real stone? Hmm, not so cool. My perception of heavenly things might need an adjustment in this case. The little kid inside of me wants the super power stone to be real. But the adult inside says, it's time to grow up and move beyond magic rocks. Through the door 
It's been the worst day since yesterday. Falling down to you, sweet ground. It's been the worst day since yesterday. Doesn't have to be, though. We can choose to let go of our past preconceived notions of how the world works and move forward. Now, how do we do that? Let's look at an example from the scriptures. Jacob in the Old Testament had 12 sons, and his favorite was Joseph. See Genesis chapter 37 for all the details. In this account, we learn that family issues can lead to serious resentment. Joseph's brothers conspired to kill him. Sounds like serious resentment to me. What caused it? Could be that uh, they knew that their father favored Joseph over them. Perhaps Joseph had an attitude about that and kept throwing it in their faces on a regular basis. Well, it got to the point of, we need to kill him, for whatever reason. They couldn't go through with it, so they sold him into slavery and smeared blood all over his special coat of many colors and told their father that some beast had killed him and I presume carried off his body so there were no remains to mourn and bury. Time passed. Joseph was sold in Egypt and put into the house of Potiphar, who was said to be the captain of the palace guard. If you're going to be a slave, this might not have been a bad job. He could have been sold to some garment maker who treated him, well, uh, like a slave. He did so well in Potiphar's house that he put Joseph in charge of everything, except, of course, Potiphar's wife. She had other ideas, though. She wanted him, but uh, he was not going to indulge her. Guess what the consequences were for sleeping with a master's wife? Death, like most things for a slave who did not behave himself properly. Now, when Joseph refused her, things got ugly. Remember the phrase... Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. That was Potiphar's wife. She accused Joseph of trying to force himself on her. Potiphar knew better. He wasn't a stupid man. You think this was the first time something like this happened? I don't think so. He also knew the character of Joseph. You think he would jeopardize his standing by doing something so foolish? I don't think so. So, Brother Ned, what makes you say this? Uh, there is nothing in the text about, uh, about your explanation. You're right. But he was sent to jail instead of being executed, and that means to me that Potiphar knew the real story. I also think he had a conversation with the head jailer about what kind of man Joseph was and to treat him accordingly. Now, did they have different levels of jail back in the day? I would think so, because Joseph was uh, sent to the incarceration facility where the king's prisoners, like the cupbearer and the baker, were residing at the time. The cupbearer and the baker had dreams they couldn't understand. Joseph inquired of the Lord and received interpretations for both of them. The butler, or the cupbearer, he got his job back. The baker? Uh, didn't work out so well for him. Standard penalty death. Joseph asked the cupbearer to remember him when he got his job back, but he forgot Joseph. 
day after day, month after month, no word from the palace. At this point in Joseph's life, I wonder what his resentment level was. His brothers tried to kill him, but sold him into slavery instead. Sent to jail for unjust reasons. Another day, another month, another year. Bricks of bitterness could have been built into walls of resentment so thick that nothing could break them down. Didn't happen that way, though. The Lord was with Joseph. Day after day, month after month, year after year. Then one day Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret. The cupbearer then remembered Joseph and his ability to interpret dreams and mentioned it to his master. Pharaoh had him cleaned up and brought before the court of Pharaoh's judgment. Pharaoh explained his dream and asked for the interpretation thereof. And penalty for wrong interpretation? Death. No stress here. What if he had allowed his resentment to cloud or interfere with his relationship with the Lord? Didn't happen, though. Interpretation of said dream? Seven years of plenty for Egypt, and then seven years of drought and famine. Saved during the good years for the bad years to come. Pharaoh was so impressed with this interpretation that he made Joseph second in command in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. Gave him the big house and a wife. Things were looking up for this former slave. During the good years under Joseph's command, stockpiles are created and then the famines hit. The whole region is affected, including Jacob's family. Jacob sends out some of his sons to go and buy some grain in Egypt. What do you think Joseph's first thoughts were when he saw his brothers? I know what my first thoughts would have been. Well, 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 look who's here. If it isn't my traitorous brothers groveling for food, it's payback time. This could have been his first thoughts, but if they were, they didn't last that long. Long story short, the whole family was brought to Egypt and they lived happily ever after. Maybe. The part I would like to focus on is not told in the scriptures. Are you listening? Say amen. Now, what was Jacob's reaction when he learned the truth of how Joseph wound up in Egypt? We don't know that story. How would you react? I don't think it's possible to heal that level of pain without the Lord. I would venture to say that the healing process did not happen overnight. Like most things in life, serious injuries to both body and spirit take time to heal. Some time ago, I worked at a Christian radio station and was forced to listen to the programming. Day after day, week after week, month after month. It was a great hobby job where I learned much about the differences in Protestant theological teachings. I also had to listen to Christian music. It was implanted into my system as part of this broadcasting experience. Yeah, so what? We're not interested in Brother Ned's history with the Fifth Column Associates. Well, you just might be after listening to the song. 
It was done in 1984 by a group known as White Heart. The title of the song is 70 Times 7. Its message has never gone away. It has lasted over 2,000 years. Tell me if you think it fits here. The message has a stronger impact if you uh, turn it up a little.
What about today and our injuries? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. It's easy to become offended. Personal experience, been there, done that, got lots of t-shirts to prove it. In some circumstances, frustration, anger, and throwing a fit are standard and average responses, but we don't have to hold on to them. Over time, we can let go. Do you really want to carry around bricks of bitterness? Rhetorical question, of course, but how many bricks do you have in your backpack right now? What would happen if you made the choice to lay them down? A lighter load in life, perhaps? Better health? Forgiveness is the key. We can choose to let go. The more you practice, the easier it becomes, just like most things in life. When you first start to let go, you will be surprised how fast those bricks jump right back into your bag. Just lay it down again and walk away. This time, it will run after you and start complaining because of your abandonment. Again, you have the right to choose what you will hold on to in life. The more you let it go, the longer it takes to wind its way back until it no longer catches up with you. Now, most things in life are not deliberate attempts to get you like the story of Joseph in Egypt. His brothers were out to get him, and they almost succeeded. It appears that they repented of the evil they had done, and Joseph forgave them. Probably didn't happen as an event, but took place over time. We can do the same if we want to. Now, this is something you really have to want to do because Satan wants you to hold on to every brick of resentment you can carry. Put those bricks back. They deserve your bitterness, whoever they or it is at the time. How much do you want to suffer and for how long? Less suffering and shorter time is good for me. How about you? In the church, this brick-holding resentment can become really painful. Again, personal experience. I was deceived. I was fill-in-the-blank. Now, I don't doubt the experience of your pain. What I want to do is help you let go of it. This may even require the help of professional counselors, but let me be extremely clear here. It can be done over time. I keep going back to the story of how much time it took for Jacob to get over his resentment over his own sons. What if his sons had not repented? Oh, that would have been a bad day or a lifetime for Jacob. Still, the choice would have still been there for him. Hold on to resentment or let it go. I would think that if they had not repented, his resentment would have turned into sadness, and that sadness would have given rise to the possibility of his son's future repentance. That would have given him hope. Isn't that what we want? Hope for the future? The day will come when all things will be made right. That day is not here yet, 
but we are on the way to it if we choose. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So what is His purpose? The gospel message is clear on this one. To bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of mankind. Moses chapter 1, verse 39. But how does resentment fit into this purpose? It's our choice. The moral choice to forgive. I think sometimes what we want in life is mercy for ourselves and justice for just about everybody else. That sound about right? But I can't let go. Well, use the forget-me stick. Oh, right. Perhaps you could use the forget-me stick to break up the bricks of bitterness that build the walls of resentment. You could turn your back on them, walk away, whatever imagery works best for you. This moral choice to give up our resentment can and will free us from continued suffering in this life and the life to come. Hold on to it, and it will follow us into the next life, where the suffering will continue until we choose to give it up and receive God's grace. I would like to close with the words of Brother Dieter F. Utdorf, Second Counselor in the First Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Each of us is under a divinely spoken obligation to reach out with pardon and mercy and to forgive one another. There is a great need for this Christ-like attribute in our families, in our marriages, in our wards, and stakes, and in our communities, and in our nations. We will receive the joy of forgiveness in our own lives when we are willing to extend that joy freely to others. Lip service is not enough. We need to purge our hearts and minds of feelings and thoughts of bitterness and let the light and love of Christ enter in. As a result, the Spirit of the Lord will fill our souls with the joy accompanying divine peace of conscience. Sounds like the waves of life are calling us to go forth with a steadfast focus on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to carry out His will. Officer of the Watch, post the Navy hymn, sung by Sandra Schmidt, Bonnie Skarsbrick, Steve Hatch, and David Reese. Eternal Father, strong to save.